If there is a a theme for today's gospel, we might choose desperation. You know, we hear the story and we think, oh, that's great, Jesus healed people, you know. But listen to the desperation of the Father who comes to Jesus and just pleads, pleads, just begs him to heal his little daughter. The fear that he must have had. He knew there was nothing that, nothing that anybody else could do. He was a synagogue official. He would have had resources. Nothing else mattered at that moment because his daughter was dying. And so he went to Jesus, having heard, and begged him, please come and save my daughter. And then they're going, huge crowd, and we, have, we hear of the desperation of this woman who, we're told, for 12 years had been suffering and suffered greatly from the doctors. Her illness had not gotten one bit better. It had only gotten worse. She's desperate. Twelve years. Twelve years. That's a long time to deal with that. She's so desperate. She's heard about Jesus, but she's so desperate. And she thinks, maybe if I just touch his, the hem of his garment, if I just touch it, not even him, his garment, he'll heal me. She was so desperate. I'm reminded of friends in my life who have been likewise so desperate for God to intervene. You know, as they've they've watched their children get ill, very ill, as they've experienced their children die, many of you the same, how desperate they are. And they ask rightly, where is God? Where is God in this? I've spent uh, most of my adult academic career, well, I didn't have much of an academic career when I wasn't an adult, but that's another story. Um, But as an adult, I've spent probably most of my rumination and study, real study, actual academic study on the problem of evil and suffering. And the truth is that I could, you know, I mean, you study something long enough, you kind of memorize a lot of it, hopefully. And I could stand here and give you all kinds of rational arguments for why God allows you to suffer or your children to suffer or those you love to suffer. But when you're suffering, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. None of it makes sense because it just doesn't make sense. You know, there's so much suffering just in this room. Suffering that we don't even know about, right next to us. The burdens that people people carry. 
There are people in our, our community who have recently learned that they're suffering from terminal illness. They're having to reconcile that with their family and their faith, and where is God? There are people who are suffering from mental illness all their lives, and it's not their fault, but they carry this burden and they wonder, why me? Why can't I get over this? Why can't I get beyond this? Why would God do this to me? There are people here whose families are broken and fallen apart, whose marriages are fallen apart, have fallen apart, are. Why did this happen? There are people who are being abused repeatedly. And where is God to fix it? Why would he allow it? There's little ones here, little ones who have to carry these kinds of burdens even, little ones. And a lot of us, when we were little, had to deal with these burdens, these awful realities. Where is God? And why God? Why? Why continue? Why continue with the illusion that you're good and all-powerful if you don't fix it? Such is the question that goes out throughout all of human history. You know, there's that story of Job. Well, it's a whole book. And we, we always hear about how Job was such a great guy. He's a great guy, you know. And uh, he didn't do anything wrong. And then everything is taken away from him. You know, it's a parable, basically. Everything's taken away from him. And most of the book of Job is, his, is him complaining. <laughs> Why? 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 What did I do? What did I do? Sounds familiar to, my, to me. I mean, I, I do it all the time. I don't know about you. And, you know, God's answer to him, I mean, he answers, kind of, typically in God fashion. It's somewhat unsatisfactory, but it is, but it's not. <laughs> he, he comes to Job and says, essentially, why are you questioning me? I created you. I created the heavens and the earth, the seas, the deep, the planets, the, you know, everything. And he... But the, the kicker, you know, the, 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 where it really all comes together is when God reveals himself to Job. And Job beholds him as he is. He sees God and he says, I have no more questions. I don't need an answer. Because now I behold you. God has deemed it necessary for us to suffer. He has. But he has not left us alone. He came to be among us, to suffer with us, to die on the cross, to say to us, yes, you're going to suffer, 
as I have, but there will be glory. I'm not going to take the suffering away. Perhaps, in a sense, he can't. He can, but he can't. Because of divine justice, he can't. Instead, what he does is he transforms it. Instead, he says, your suffering is not your definition. Your suffering doesn't have to define you. Your illness doesn't have to define you. Your broken marriage doesn't have to define you. Your abuse does not have to define you. Someone else who hurts you should never define you. Illness should never define you. Because suffering doesn't have the last word. It never does. Not anymore. So what can we do? The first thing is to recognize, and you know, when we use these terms, of course, society often corrupts these terms and then they, they turn into undesirable meanings or they, they have undesirable meanings. But you know, the reality is that everyone is truly a victim at different times in their life. And it's no use comparing because it doesn't matter. The reality is that everybody is victimized sooner or later, sometimes very much sooner and sometimes later. It's just true. For my own life, as, as I've endured it, at some point I made a decision that the only way out of it, this victimization, was to struggle with all my might to not be defined by it and to not let it control me. And so one of the things we find is that how we choose to focus our energy does end up defining us. Okay, I've been victimized, but I don't have to live in a victim identity. I don't have to allow my persecutor to, to define me. I want Jesus Christ to define me. I want the definition of who I am to be a man in Christ, to be a person in Christ. And so I recognized, I don't know if this is helpful, but I recognized that at a certain point, what was necessary was for me to be transformed not for somebody else to get punished, not for, you know, the truth to be revealed, not for justice to be done, but for me to be transformed. And then the second thing, I guess, that was helpful, and I think is helpful, is to understand that Jesus never abandons us. Yeah, but it feels like it, I know. Sometimes it really feels like it. But he doesn't abandon us. Why does he step away? He has a reason. What's that reason? I don't know. Father, don't you have more answers? This sounds really bleak. I don't know. I don't know why he does. What I do know 
is that the more people participate in living their faith, in choosing to accept Christ more and more, in choosing to allow him to transform them, that oftentimes their suffering and victimization end up becoming the very thing that truly changes their life for the better. And the only way we do that is by choosing to be transformed, but allowing the Lord to be the one who transforms us. The second thing I think we ought to do for each other, I'm reminded, I've said, I said this last year at one point, my mentor, it was one of his sayings, and he's, he's gone now, and his eternal reward so I want to keep this alive. You might remember it. He often said, be kind, be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. You know, we come out together and we put on a brave face. But every single one of us is fighting a great battle. And we're often so hard on each other. We're so harsh and impatient and judgmental. But the person right next to you is fighting a great battle. Every single one of us. So be kind. The support we give to one another the encouragement we give to each other, the smile, the, you know, the, the greater extension of kindness and charity makes a huge difference. I mean, sometimes people, you know, it's, it's uh, I've had so many stories of this, but especially from moms, you know, moms are like, Father, do you know how hard it is to get here with the kids? And I say, no. I'm sorry. Oh, well, let me tell you. And they do. Father, we're going out to the car, and he pukes. He pukes. I can't bring him in when he pukes. Get him out of the car seat. He pukes again. She, you know, uh, on and on and on. And, and they're talking about their husband. But, you know, the... <laughs> It's amazing, you know, I think about that, I'll, I'll, hear, I'll hear a baby cry, and then I'll remind myself, you know, I wonder what it took for them to get here today. Oh, but it was so hard. You know, some people, it's, it's uh, they don't want to be here. I mean, they're here, but they don't want to be here, but they do, because, they, you know, they, they have sort of amb ambiguous feelings because of just where their faith is right now. And it's okay. And some people are really, really doubting, and it's okay. The extension of kindness that we can give to one another can have a tremendous impact in someone's life. So be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Please stand.